You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. How is everybody? Excellent. Good. Use that later. It's a lot of fun. It's a good, good trick. Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. It will magically appear on your screen. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all of these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to begin our time together uh, with a prayer. Uh, If you've heard this prayer before, just, you know, go along with me. If you haven't, it'll be a very fitting prayer for today. So let us pray. Uh, Dear God, uh, thank you for today. So far, I have done well. I have not gossiped. I have not lost my temper. I have not been grumpy. And I'm so glad. Uh, But in just a minute, God, I'm going to get out of bed and then I'm going to need help. <laughs> how, many, how many of us, right, we start the day off, we wake up, and we're like, yeah, I got this, and we get out of bed, and it just goes bad from there. Is it just me? Uh, you know, the craziness of the day just catches up with us. And so when you think about all the things that we could potentially worry about, and we hear these words from Jesus, and it, it seems so simple. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble of its own. Well, that's certainly true, but how do I not worry about tomorrow? And so out of curiosity, a couple of days ago, I posed a question on Facebook that that many of you responded to. And the question was simply, what kinds of things worry you the most? And it was really interesting. Because there was the whole gamut from, you know, the the things we normally think of, the very tangible things like money and health kids, grandkids, those kinds of things, Uh, or as one person said that I won't name, how do I manage not to mess up my family? Or there are the untangible things, the much deeper things like mortality or the unknown, things that I don't know, things I can't plan for, things I don't have answers to. And so we ran the whole gamut when I asked that question, and it was really interesting. Because the reality is, for all of us, we all worry to some degree or another. It's part of our human nature that we are consumed sometimes with worrying about what might happen, worrying about what could happen, worrying about what is happening. And yet Jesus simply tells us not to worry. And so to really understand where Jesus is coming from, we have to dig a little deeper. And those of you who know me by now, anytime you begin a scripture with therefore, 
we've we got to kind of go back to, okay, what did he say before that that warrants this therefore? So, so let's do that. This scripture, if you remember back in July, I know you've slept once or twice since then, but back in July, I did a sermon series called Thy Kingdom Come, and we explored specifically this particular sermon from Jesus, this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And really in this particular sermon, the, the big idea is that we are to live into God's kingdom, this kingdom that is near, that is at hand, but is not yet, Right? This kingdom that God invites us to participate with, building here on earth as it is in heaven. This kingdom that we are saved for, not from, that we're saved for this kingdom, to live for this kingdom. All these ideas that emerge out of this Sermon on the Mount. And then in this particular section, therefore, we shouldn't worry. And so we can immediately connect this whole idea, this whole idea of not worrying with living into the kingdom of God, because that's the context. And so at the end of this scripture that we just read, Jesus says we should live for his kingdom and his righteousness. It's a reminder of the larger context. Because if we do these things, we'll develop a greater faith in God, in his ability to take care of his kingdom, rather than thinking that we have the ability to take care of something that is not ours. Going back a little further before this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, right? And so if God takes care of these things, if God is investing in his creation and is caring for his own creation, why would God not take care of our needs? Since God knows our needs, surely there's no reason for us to worry about God meeting them. So why do we struggle so much with this whole idea of worrying? Where the rubber really meets the road for most of us, and this is where it gets tricky, is that God's promise is to take care of our needs. Specifically, in this passage, food, water, and clothing. In other words, when we resolve to live as God's people under God's command... We've always got to be mindful of the fact that being a disciple of Christ does not mean we are promised wealth and fortune. We are promised that our needs will be met. To think about following Christ as a path that will lead to wealth, to our wants being met, is not the gospel. In fact, it's the opposite. To follow Christ means to empty ourselves of ourselves, to give it all away over and over and over until we have nothing left, you know, like Christ did. So faith is not so much a set of right beliefs, believing the right things. Faith is about trusting that the one we say we believe in can and will deliver on his promises. Earlier in chapter 6, backing up a little bit more, Jesus talks about four specific things in terms of following him and being a part of this kingdom. Number one is giving. (laughs) Commitment Sunday is next Sunday, I'm just saying. Number one is giving because it's the right thing to do. We are called to be people that give, that sacrifice of ourselves. Number two, we are to pray because it's hard to have a relationship with God if we don't talk to God. Number three is fasting. 
We don't talk about that much. But a spiritual discipline that draws us closer to God, to rely on God to take care of us during this period of time, to remind ourselves that God will meet our needs, hunger being one of them. And then the last thing he mentions is storing up treasures in heaven, not, in earth, not on earth. In other words, as we've been saying, to be a part of God's kingdom and building God's kingdom, not our own. To invest in the things of God. Do these things, Jesus says, and you have no reason to worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. Let God deal with tomorrow. When we think about this story that we're stepping into as the church, we're not at the beginning of the book. And Matt talked about this a, a couple of Sundays ago. We're, we're not at the beginning of God's story. We're stepping into a story that has been written and has been evolving over a lot of years. It's, it's a, a struggle that human beings have had since the beginning of time as to whether or not we can truly trust God. And somehow, and we all do this, we forget about the stories that have already been told that should tell us to have trust in God. For example, remember the story of Abraham when he's told to sacrifice his son? And Abraham does exactly that. He binds up his son and he's ready to to kill his son because that's what God said to do and God intervenes. Remember? Or the story of Mary. Imagine the Holy Spirit coming and saying, oh, by the way, you're going to give birth to the Son of God out of wedlock. (laughs) What would that mean to a young girl? Think about all the what-ifs that we sometimes wrestle with. What if my fiancé rejects me? What if my family rejects me? What if my community rejects me? Or ultimately, in that society, what if they decide to stone me? to death? What if they don't believe what I tell them is true? And what is Mary's response? She sings God's praises for favoring her, for choosing her. Or think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I love this. This is one of those scriptures that that gives me goosebumps. As he prepares for his own death, knowing what is going to happen to him, that he will be put on a Roman cross and put to death, Jesus gets on his knees and he begs God, something like blood dripping from his brow, he begs and pleads with God, if there is some other way, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus shows us his humanity. And that's why I love this so much. We can see Jesus as divine and performing all these miracles and all these wonderful things. Finally, his act on the cross and and defeating death itself. But right here, Jesus is so human. He's just like you and I. He's wrestling with something so big and so profound that he knows is coming. And he pleads with God if there's some other way. But I love, and it's a lesson in itself, I love how Jesus ends this prayer. Not my will. Not my will. But yours. Be done. And so I wonder, 
as we wrestle with worry, as we wrestle with anxiety over any number of different things, I wonder how our lives might be different if we take those things, first of all, give them to God where they belong, but second of all, say, you know what, God, whatever this is, however big this is, however profound this might be in my life, however scary this is, it's not mine, it's yours. You deal with it. It's not about me. It's about you. When we say that we're followers of Christ, when we say that we believe in a triune God who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, who through Christ has rescued us from the consequences of sin and death to live for all eternity in heaven, we say these things, and yet we don't trust that this same God is going to take care of us. If we really get down to it, and this is tough, but worry is really an expression of a lack of faith. It's not trusting that God can and God will deliver on his promises. It's thinking that we have control over things that we really don't. It's forgetting all the stories that we've been told the story that we step into, the people that have gone before us, forgetting the hope that we are promised of a life that we're living into, it's almost like we would rather wander around in the desert for 40 years in circles than trust that God is going to deliver us to the promised land. But it's a very human response that even Jesus wrestled with. When we come forward to this table for Holy Communion, we're reminded of a story. I don't want you to miss this. We're reminded of a story that has already been told. If you think back to Exodus, God tells Moses, I will be your God, you will be my people, obey me, and you will enter the land that I've promised you, disobey me, and I'll turn you over to your enemies. With Moses, God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. And after he does, he tells them every year, every year, you are to have a Passover meal to gather together to tell the story again and again and again, lest you forget what God has done for you. Don't miss this. Jesus gathers with his disciples for the Passover meal. He gathers with them to tell them the story that they already know. Again, the story that's been told for centuries, that reminds them of God's faithfulness, that God will deliver on his promises every time. And he takes two elements of that meal, the bread and the wine, and he makes with them a new covenant. Don't miss that either. A new covenant a new promise that will lead God's people to their own promised land. And it's a story that we tell every time we come to this table because it reminds us of Jesus giving his body for us. It reminds us that Jesus is the living sacrifice necessary for this covenant. It reminds us that this covenant is sealed with his blood. It reminds us of the story that we step into of what has already been done for us. And it points us to the future into which we are called, those chapters that are written but not yet fulfilled. And what a wonderful future it is.
The song that we just sang earlier called Reckless Love talks about this love that God has for God's children. The kind of love, if you read Luke Luke chapter 15, that's the kind of love that leaves the 99 to go after the one every time. The kind of love that is completely unconcerned with its own comfort, does not consider what he might lose. God is not worried about anything of his own. He's only worried about getting the one that is lost and bringing it back home. Most rational people would think that that is just purely foolish. But God offers Jesus and gives himself away over and over and over. God pursues us. God comes after us. God will stop at nothing to demonstrate his love for us. And yet, in our humanness, in our moments of anxiety and worry, we struggle to trust. Or, consider the words of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. God is not just enough. God is more than enough. God goes past enough and makes some loops around and, and some twists and turns, come back to enough again and says, I'll give you more. God is always willing to give and give and give. And yet we still wonder, we still wonder if God can really take care of us. And we worry about what might happen. To be Wesleyan about it, John Wesley spent the first 30 years or so of his life believing the right things, teaching the right things. But it wasn't until he had his spiritual awakening when he heard this preface to the Romans and his heart was strangely warmed that he understood the difference between believing in something and knowing something for sure. Having an assurance, a certainty, not a doubt in his mind that God not only could save him, but that he would and will. And so Wesley grabbed a hold of that and spent the rest of his life telling people of this good news that yes, we can have an assurance that what God has promised us is true. Now in October, I'll be doing a four-week sermon series called Wesley Say What? I'll be re-preaching four of his sermons. We'll be talking about some of his theology, some of his story. I've spent the last two or three weeks reading his journal from beginning to end. It's fascinating. Partly for me because he names places in England that I've been, and so I can picture him being in that field or on that headstone or outside that church because Wesley was oftentimes not allowed in churches. So we'll talk about some of those things that Wesley would say that got him in some trouble. But yet, that's part of our story as the Methodist church, as Wesleyans. It's where we started. So for four weeks in October, we're going to go back. We're going to listen to John Wesley himself and the things that he wrestled with his story. Our minds, as I was sharing with the kids, our minds are funny things. We can dream up things like Harry Potter. We can, we can land something on the moon and we can walk on the moon. 
however they figured that out. Somebody did. We live in a world of computers and iPhones that 30 years ago they would have told you you were crazy if you said, I can do all these things on my phone. Who would have thought that 30 years ago? Our minds have an infinite imagination of all the possibilities. But they also have the capacity to worry and worry and worry about all of those possibilities. And so as we step into this season of stewardship, we are not limited by our minds. You could put Matt and I in a room with a whiteboard and we would fill it up in five minutes with all the ideas that we have floating around for Asbury and for the church in general. We're not limited by our imaginations. We're only limited by the resources that we have to do those things. You want to put a church on the moon? Let's figure out how to do it. Someone write a check. I'm all in. We're not limited by our minds. We're only limited by the resources that we have. And so when we talk about commitment and stewardship, we're only asking that we be obedient and we be faithful to the story that we're stepping into, that we might do the things that God has called us to do, and we can't tell God no because we can't. We are to seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And all these things will be promised to us. I don't know where Asbury is going. I don't know where the United Methodist Church is going. And you know what? I'm not even worried about it. I'll let other people worry about it. I'll let God worry about it. I'm not worried. I'm going to be faithful to where God has me today. I'm going to do what God has called me to do today. I'm going to trust that God is going to provide for what I need today. And I'm not worried about where we might be a year, five years, ten years from now. That's God's thing. And the moment that we begin to trust and have that assurance that that's where God is and I don't need to be there, I just need to live into it. I just need to be faithful and obedient to what God is telling me to do. It's easy. Well, easier. As we continue to play our part in God's story of redemption, we should always look to the past because we can learn from the past. We need to live in the present, stopping long enough to appreciate all that God has done for us. Not to be so distracted by worrying about what hasn't happened yet. Worry. Well, look around. Faith looks up. Hope looks beyond. Do you see a cross? Or do you see salvation? What's beyond? Where are we going? For today, we have to trust that we have what we need. We have to trust that God can and will love us with a reckless love that pours out and overflows. Today, we are offered an assurance that if we trust God, that God will take care of tomorrow. We can leave our worries at the foot of the cross and trust that God will take care of them so that we might find peace. So that we might find the peace of God, as Paul would say, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Living for today. Let God worry about tomorrow.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your reckless love that you have for each one of us, that you pursue us, that you come after the one, you leave the 99 right where they are, that you will not stop at anything to find us, to seek us, to pursue us, to show us your love, a love that pours out and overflows, a love that shows us who you are and who we are, and calls us to live in relationship, in covenant with you, living for today, hoping for tomorrow, trusting that you are already there. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our Messiah, that we pray. Amen.